today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Romans chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 9. Move down, if you will, to the 15th verse. We looked at some of this last week. And I just want to uh, pick it up there in verse 15, if you will. Romans 9, verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. As we stated last week, God does not discriminate when it comes to his mercy and compassion. His mercy and compassion is given to those who meet his conditions. And we looked at Psalm 103. Matter of fact, the Psalms are full of the grace, mercy, and compassion of God. But in Psalm 103, we looked at how the fear of God and the reverence of God is one of the conditions that one has to meet in order to have God's mercy and compassion. And if one properly fears God as they should, then there will be less and less sin in that person's life. Another condition that we find there in Psalm 103 is that we have to keep his covenant, which today is the new covenant of grace, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the only way we can keep the new covenant of grace is to keep our faith anchored and maintained in Christ's finished work. Another condition of having God's mercy and compassion is to keep His commandments. Now, outside of Jesus Christ and His finished work, we can't do it. To be honest with you, even as a Christian, and having the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, even then we have a little trouble keeping His commandments. But if if we'll keep our faith anchored in Christ and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and do what He tells us to do, then we'll find ourselves more and more keeping the commandments of God. So we have to meet... God's conditions in order to obtain his mercy and compassion. Verse 16, so then it is not of him that willeth. Just because a person wants to do the right thing, that alone doesn't earn God's mercy and compassion. I know a lot of people that want to do right. Paul said the will 
is present with me. But how to perform that which is right, that which is good, I find not. So it's not to him that willeth, nor is it him that runneth. Just because a person does good works, that also within itself doesn't earn God's mercy. God's mercy and compassion is a free gift. And it has to be accepted as a gift, and we can only receive it by faith. But of God that showeth mercy, that's the latter part of verse 16. God's mercy is shown to those, like I said, that meet his conditions. Uh, To further prove what I'm talking about, Dana, if you will, go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the publican. Luke chapter 18, let's pick it up in verse 9, if you will. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And Jesus said, verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were respected and looked at as the leaders who knew the law of God. They were very respected. If anyone in the mind of the Jew, if anyone was going to heaven, it would be a Pharisee. Keep that in the back of your mind now. He said, and the other, a publican. Now, the publicans were tax collectors who worked for the Roman government. They were looked at by the Jews as traitors. And because they had sided with Rome, they were damned to hell. There was no way that a publican could be saved. So here you have two people, one a religious leader, When you look at his actions, you would think, man, I wish I were in his shoes because he's guaranteed to go to heaven. Here's another one, a tax collector that sometimes they were known for doing some underhanded things under the table. And here is what Jesus said, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithe of all that I possess. This man was praying in pride and arrogance. And he thought that he was praying to God. But I want you to notice what Jesus said here in this verse, verse 11, that he prayed thus with himself. God didn't even hear what he had to say. God ignored this Pharisee. No, he didn't do what an adulterer did. No, he didn't uh, cheat anybody out of their, their money. Matter of fact, this man did what many of us need to do. Fast maybe twice a week. Some of us a little more than others. (laughs) He said, I pay tithe of all that I possess. Surely, 
somebody who does these types of things is going to heaven. But that ain't what Jesus said. Jesus said that this man prayed with himself. In order to obtain God's mercy and compassion, we have to humble ourselves. Now, I want you to take a look now at this publican, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto the heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Folks, that is something that you and I as Christians really need to take a look at. Because I think, Many times, and, it, and it's commendable that people attend church as often as they do. I thank God for each one of you who show up here Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night. You're here every time the door is open, every time there's an activity going on at the church. You're there to participate in some way, if you can, to to make sure that uh, the outreaches of the church are successful. I, I thank God for those of you who put extra in the offering plate to make sure that the radio ministry continues, uh, that the bus is up kept. You you put money in there for f things that just break down around the church. I thank God for everything that you do, but you must understand that the doing of those things does not merit the mercy and compassion of God. Those things do not save you. A man that walks in that door on Sunday morning, he may be the worst drunk in this community. If he sits down on that back row and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That man is just as saved as those of you who have sit here and given thousands and thousands of dollars to support the work of God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God will reward you greatly for the work that you do to support the church, your church attendance. And that's it really when you think about it. Your church attendance is not so much to benefit God as it is you. See, that, that is for your growth. I'll go a step further with it. Your putting little extra in the offering plate is also for your benefit. Because God looks at what you give, and he gives it back to you. <laughs> you don't give anything to God what he won't give it back to you. Now, I'm not saying he'll, he'll give it back to you in money. But he'll make sure them tires on that car last a little longer. He'll make sure your health is, is, is better than what it could be. God's got thousands of ways uh, of blessing us. But we need to keep that in mind. That if a person places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they humble themselves, 
although they may have done some pretty crooked things in, in their life, that person is just as saved as you and I are that are faithful to the church. Let's move on. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. As we stated last week, things did not have to go the way that they did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh had plenty of miracles that were performed in front of him. He, he knew exactly. In the very beginning, when Moses stood before him and said, God has said, let my people go. The Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Well, God gave plenty of miracles and opportunity for Pharaoh to find out who the Lord was. And friend, let me tell you, he did find out who the Lord was. And I tell you, if Pharaoh had have repented and asked the Lord to forgive him, and then did what God said do, let the people go, God would have blessed Pharaoh Egypt could have been the, mo the mightiest nation on the face of the earth. God's name still could have been proclaimed throughout all the earth of that day. But Pharaoh's hardness toward God was met with hardness. And let me tell you this. Israel did the same thing. Think about it. They had plenty of evidence as to who Jesus was was they knew who he was there was no there's no doubt in my mind when jesus stood there that day at the tomb of lazarus and said lazarus come forth and lazarus came out of that tomb the bible says that many of the jews that were against jesus turned to christ and they accepted him as the messiah but many of them they went off over here and gathered together in a back room somewhere and figured out how they could kill Jesus and Lazarus too, because they didn't want to lose their position. And what happened to Israel? They had plenty of evidence. Had they accepted Christ as their Messiah? God, if, if Israel had have accepted Christ, and Israel had have said to Rome, this is our king, this is our Messiah, Rome would have come in, took Jesus, crucified him, he would have raised from the dead the third day. The millennium could have started right then. Israel would have been the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But Israel rejected their own Messiah, had him crucified. And what happened to Israel? They were destroyed. See? So, it didn't have to go the way that it did. Look at verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? God is not to blame for the problems of mankind. But man has been finding fault and blaming God ever since the fall. Dana, if you will, go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. 
I want to show you something here. Maybe you've never noticed it before. Genesis 3, verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Abram and said unto him, now this is right after the fall, Where art thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me. Notice that. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Notice what Adam says, the woman that you gave to me. Adam was, in effect, blaming God for the situation that he found himself in. And man has been blaming God for his problems ever since that day. The reason for our problem is sin. God warned us about the consequences of sin in the very beginning. Furthermore, he's not to blame because he's made a way of escape through his son, Jesus Christ. But man still finds fault with God because he doesn't like what God has provided. Take a look at the latter half of verse 19, Romans 9, verse 19 again, Dana, if you'll go back to that. For who hath resisted his will? That's another question that Paul asked here. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Yet many resist the will of God. They resist and reject God's salvation plan, and they die lost every day. That's not God's fault. That's the individual's fault for choosing sin over God. Take a look at verse 20, Romans 9, verse 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Who do we think we are to resist God? Nothing good ever comes from resisting God. No one resists God and comes out successful. Take a look at Pharaoh. Take a look at Israel. Look at what he said there in the latter part of verse 20. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? It's a foolish thing for the creature to judge the Creator. But man does this foolishness all the time, especially when he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own actions. That reminds me of the homosexual community. They blame God for why they are the way they are. They say, you know, well, God made me that way. The transgender community today says, well, God made a mistake. He put a man in a woman's body and vice versa. No, he did not. God does not make a mistake. But that does bring me to a question, though, that we need to take a look at. Why did God make man the way that he did? There's nothing wrong with asking that question and just taking a look at it. So let's look at it. In the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, the first chapter, 
Man was created unlike anything else in all of God's creation. We were created to have dominion over God's creation. You can read that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. In order for man to have dominion over God's creation, man had to have a will. He had to have the ability to reason and the ability to choose. Man chose wrong. And that's why we are the way we are. God did not make us sinners. We became that way because of the first man, Adam, who was the federal head of the human race. What Adam did has been passed down from generation to generation. But man today wants to find fault with that. And when I'm witnessing the people and we take it back to Adam, most of the time they say, why should I suffer because of something someone did some 6,000 years ago? I didn't even know Adam. That may be true. But there are people that we don't know right now in high positions that are making decisions. And we have to abide by them. And many of them we don't like, but that's just the way it is. Some blame God for placing that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. If God hadn't have placed that tree there, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. Have you ever heard somebody say that? They might have a point if God hadn't warned Adam about the tree. But I want you to also notice at the same time, they seem to forget that God also placed the tree of life in the garden as well. Man had a choice to live forever or die. He chose death. Now he wants to blame God for his own actions. Some say it's all God's fault because he knew through foreknowledge what man would do. Now, they might have a point if God hadn't provided a way of salvation. And the Lord did provide a way of salvation at great cost, incidentally. The bottom line is this. Man still has a choice today. He can stay in his sin and die lost, or he can place his faith in what God has provided, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified and live forever. And there's the choice. All right. Romans 9, verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? honor now in this verse we see where god is the potter and man is the clay because in the very beginning god made man from the dust of the ground and if you'll look in the book of genesis chapter 1 verse 31 the bible says that when god was done he saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good so I guess what I'm trying to say is this. When God originally created man, he created man to be a vessel of honor. 
with the ability to choose. Man, through his own free will of choice, became a vessel of dishonor. God did not make us sinners. If it wasn't for God providing Christ for our salvation, man would have no choice but to remain a vessel of dishonor. But anyone today makes no difference who it is. Although they are born a vessel of dishonor, if they'll accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come into their hearts and lives and make them into a vessel of honor. Praise God. Hallelujah. He has the power to take a vessel of dishonor and to turn it into a vessel of honor. That means that the homosexual doesn't have to remain that way. That means that the prostitute doesn't have to stay that way. That means the drug addict doesn't have to stay that way. That means the alcoholic does not have to remain that way. The list goes on and on. We do not have to stay in our sinful condition. Because if we will accept Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, then the potter will shape that dishonorable clay vessel into a vessel of honor. All right, let's look at verse 22, Romans 9, verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Sin cannot go unpunished. The wrath of God is ultimately going to come on those who continue in sin. That I want you to notice here in this verse that God is long-suffering. And His long-suffering shows His grace, His mercy, and compassion. Even when God knows through foreknowledge what a person's final decision is going to be. God knows that ultimately that person is going to reject him. He still gives them ample opportunity to repent. No one will be able to stand before God at the great white throne judgment and say, I didn't have a chance. God is long-suffering. He gives us an opportunity even when he knows what our final decision will be. Verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. God's way of salvation was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. And those who choose to go God's way will be rewarded with the riches of God's glory both now in this life and the life to come. He went on to say, verse 24, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. God initiates a call to all. 
both Jews and Gentiles alike. And I want you to think about it for a minute. What if the President of the United States was to call your house and won't talk to you? What an honor that would be. Not so much of the one that's in the office, but the, the, the highest position in the nation, the one who occupies that position, thinks enough of you to give you a call and talk to you. That's an honorable thing. There's no greater honor than when God gives a call of love to an individual. And let me tell you what that call is. It's found in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. And God said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The call goes out to everybody, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Whether you're black, white, polka-dotted, green or purple, don't matter. God offers salvation to everybody. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Jews here that he's talking about here in this chapter. the program today has been a blessing to you we hope and pray that you'll share it with others this podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry go to establishedinthefaith.com click on the donate tab all donations are safe and secure through paypal we look forward to hearing from you